Good evening, Jason Geary. Good AM to you, Dave <laughs> yes, Morris. It is currently in the AMs, but I uh, but in the wee smalls for you. What are you at? One AM now? It is uh, almost two AM. It's almost oh, two AM. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. So so we've been recording. All night over here, pulling yeah. an all nighter in North America. I know uh, we finally did the thing that we were, we were aiming for with this podcast, which was try to have a, a like as if it's a late night festival chat. Which for you, it was. It was. This was. This I was in the right mind space, and you know what? I think this is. Uh, so I've, we've already given people a hint as to who we've got on. Well, of course, other than the fact they've seen the name in the episode title, yeah. But yeah. if they just it was in their playlist, it just came on. Uh, they know that the person's uh, European because that's the only time we're ever recording this late yes. for me. <laughs> and so it's only eight forty p.m. for me. I've had a day, but I'm you know I'm I'm on the wind down. It's yeah. nice. And uh, our guest today was mm-hmm. uh, all the way from Brussels, Belgium. Yes, the capital of the European Union. Her name is Kelly Agathos. And uh, she is a wonderful improviser, artistic director, owner, runner of uh, Impro Bubble uh, there in Brussels. Uh, so we talk about uh, her theatre, uh, her experience of running the theatre, what they're doing pre-post pandemic, um, the interesting stuff she's creating. Man, those shows she talks about sound so interesting, so um, fun. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're gonna love it. We get into some of her artistic process how she likes to, to create shows and what kind of shows she's into it's it's a really lovely conversation uh and uh, of course if you enjoy this podcast make sure you uh share it with your oh, friends yeah. like and yeah. subscribe uh but, we don't uh, often say that but please do <laughs> i just realized we should say it at least once every yeah. few episodes give us a rate give us some stars give us a review why not <laughs> yeah uh but more importantly than all of that reviewing and rating is to enjoy these uh, lovely late night conversations we're having uh, and this one is with Kelly Agathos from Brussels, Belgium. Should have had Can we just pretend that we're all actually at the Paper Street Theatre Festival in Victoria? <laughs> yes, I, I I have not stopped pretending that this entire time. <laughs> That's all I've been pretending. Well, Happy Thoughts has been a festival. <laughs> yeah. Happy Thoughts. We're actually coming up on the year. Uh, actually, by the time people are listening to this, it's probably been one year since we yeah. had to had to go into lockdown and cancel the festival. <laughs> I remember that too because I held off. I was like, yeah, maybe it'll be cleared up by April. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was like, well, uh, you know, traveling will be different. I'll have to wear a mask, maybe. That's fine. I can still. It'll be okay. Yeah, we were all very hopeful at the beginning. Do you remember those yeah. first couple of weeks of like, just yep. a couple of weeks will be, and like slowly can- canceling things. Bread. I can bake for three for three weeks. Exactly. I can. I I, I remember I, I did those. You know the things you do in your house that you never do. Like I rearranged the furniture, I dusted behind the radiators, <laughs> and it, it just felt like this nifty kind of timeout in the beginning. <laughs> and then it was like, I'm ready to go out again. I, okay, are, are we ready to go now? Is it and then around week five or six, it was like, oh shit. Yeah. Everything cancelled in the space of a week for me here. Like all my jobs, all my work, all my travel. And that was the point where I was like, okay. But I think we had yeah. a week awakening right from the beginning. Yeah. So I remember it was like it was like week by week at first. Like we'd we'd cancel a month out and then sort of yeah, yeah. things that were two months out. And then it was everything's gone. Yeah. For like the year. Calendar's clear. It was, it went very fast. Yeah. It was the same. It was a week by week in, in Europe as well. 
but let's not just dwell on the past <laughs> we're just talking about the present because yeah we're, we're most of the way through that i mean that's that's ages ago that's a whole different people that we were back then we've shed an entire layer of skin all of us since then mm-hmm. and grown it back i mean come on we're we're whole different people we've all genetically gained- well, gained 20 pounds and lost 20 pounds and then gained 20 pounds back. You know, we had, we've had a really good time. Yeah. Uh, you were going to be at the festival. I don't know if that was clear in our conversation, but you were going to be coming to the Paper Street Festival. I was very excited for that. I was too. Yeah. To get to work with both of you. Yeah. And uh, and the Mika and other people. It, it, yeah. But one day, one day, hope dies last. Yes. Yeah. I, yes. I did tell everyone that it's just postponed a year yeah and now i'm like oh i guess i should tell everyone it's gonna be postponed another year <laughs> oh dave i just booked my flights come on <laughs> i still haven't I'm, I'm in the process of getting refunded for them that is still in the process oh, so gosh. maybe i'll just tell them to hold off until next yeah year. flight credits flight credits just put it forward pay it forward yeah yeah oh boy but uh yeah you've uh you've had have you, you've had a, had a busy year yeah. It's been two years. When did Impro Bubble start? Jason and I were trying to figure this out when we had you come uh, 2017. So it's actually been like four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the year after you came to visit. I think you visited in 2016, Dave. Yes. Didn't, yeah, you came to do a poetry show with uh, Missy in Belgium. And we had oh, a, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and we sat in an Ethiopian restaurant. And I was telling you guys about how I was thinking about doing my own improv school. But it's, I'm, I'm scared and this and that. And you were just like, just go for it. Just, you know, and if you need more money, just add another class. And uh, you'll figure it out as you go along. And you made it all sound so easy. <laughs> wow. I'm a very supportive person. Did it, was I right? <laughs> Yeah, I it's mean, all because of you. Other than the pandemic, I think I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was 2016. Yeah, that was the trip when when uh, what, Missy was pregnant with Milo on that trip. Mm-hmm. So we we still didn't have a baby. That's when Jason and I met. Yeah, we met. We oh. would have met like a week after that Ethiopian restaurant, where the waitress was would like she said the way you had to eat ethiopian food is you couldn't take your first yet you someone had to feed you your first bite yeah you had to you had to uh put that because it's all this and, kind of sourdough bread uh bread pancakey thing and you had to sort of you, you, what are those games where it's like a claw and it goes down yeah. and it takes a uh, yeah. um yeah, a, a toy. Game. yeah yeah dip it yeah. into the food so and you it had was to do that with the bread you had to go like and that, i love feed it to someone <laughs> And I love Ethiopian food, but she was like, no, but you can't eat your first bite. And so she took some bread, dipped it, and then put it in my mouth with her hands. Like, and I was like, and I was like, this is cool. Like, wow, that was weird. Although now, now I can't imagine that happening. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was, that was awesome. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was, uh, I remember that trip. Yeah. Cause it, we had just come off an airplane and went straight to the space wherever it was. It's always fun. Yeah, I bought a workshop for like four hours and then, and then did a did show. A show. <laughs> it was just like so. T- I don't know if the show was any good actually at all. I have no idea. I have no recollection. Your show, your show with Missy was pretty good. Our show, I, I cannot vouch for. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was a beautiful workshop as well. The poetry workshop, and um, now I'm I'm into freestyle rapping a lot, and it's reminded me a little bit of some of the stuff we did. Um, mm. So I'd love to do a little more of that. Um, that's that's the yeah. coolest. That's the coolest sentence I've heard you say in a while. Now I'm really into freestyle rapping. <laughs> Just like have you ever seen my YouTube it. music comedy video about Brexit? 
update? No, no. What did you do? One? Yeah, I um. So I was <laughs> taking a my my silver lining of the pandemic uh, in terms of uh, workshops was doing a freestyle rap class with North Coast from New York because mm-hmm. I've always loved uh, hip hop uh, and uh, I loved their show when I saw them for the first time. But there's not that many people who teach it in Europe. So the great thing about the pandemic was that I could take a class uh, with uh, North Coast because uh, the timings worked out. It was their midday, my evening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could finally um, learn all these techniques. And um, during the time I was doing it, which was uh, November, December, um, here, I'm I'm in Brussels, for those who don't know, by the way, which is the capital of the EU. So the topic of conversation other than the pandemic was Brexit. Uh, because the negotiations were still happening. It wasn't mm-hmm. sure whether they were going to crash out of the EU or not up until the ele- uh, they, they went straight in, up to the wire um, with the negotiations. And uh, they ended up getting a deal on Christmas Day. So six days before they were going to potentially crash out without a deal. Um, and I've worked, um, I, I've uh, lived in the UK. I did my university in the UK. I've worked for the UK, uh, its uh, embassy to the EU. Um, so for me, the whole thing felt really close anyway. But then on top of that, because I've um, been brought up in Brussels and I've worked in the EU for quite a while, and I went to a school that was um, a European school, which meant that it was founded by the EU's founding fathers, I'm also very staunch European. So um, I felt very emotionally involved during the whole thing, and I actually took Brexit very personally, like, why? Why would they leave us? <laughs> and so during the time of these um, of, of all these negotiations and this back and forth, um, my practice ended up being all political. It ended all being uh, lines like, uh, um, think you're haggling over a Turkish carpet. Good luck penetrating my internal market. And um, <laughs> I thought some of them were funny. So I started recording them. And uh, that's how the Brexit rap uh, came into existence. Uh, the rants cool. of a scorned ex-wife. Cool. Well, I will, I will uh, find that. Is it on the, it's on the YouTubes, right? It's on the YouTube. Yeah. All right. Well, I will put a link to that uh, listeners into our, uh, into our show notes. So you can check that out as well. I still get a song from North coast stuck in my head sometimes from a show. I saw them do in Vancouver. (laughs) That song is about, I walk hard. I'm a security guard. And the the (laughs) tune just comes into my head and I'm like, I walk hard. I'm a security guard. And I get, I get it. They sing the chorus in my head still. (laughs) That's how catchy that is. That's how good of a group they were at at freestyling. It was awesome. Yeah. And still are. Are you going to do like a freestyle improv show? Is that going to move over to your... That's the dream. I'd love to. Um, there's a couple people now who, um, who've who been converted and who are doing online uh, freestyle classes. So mm-hmm. we've got the beginning of maybe a group going. Um, but yeah, um, I would also like to use it um, in corporate work. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do a lot of hosting of events and I think it would be a nice way to kind of liven up a dry conference by maybe doing a bit of a freestyle summary at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. So I'd like to use it both for for the stage and for uh, corporate work uh, because nice. uh, it just makes everything more fun. Oh, yeah. Totally. I know I someone who used to do that with spoken word poetry. He would he mm. would go to a conference and like take notes throughout the whole conference, and then at the end he would get up and do a poem inspired by everything that happened at the conference, and it was like so cool. Very yeah. cool. That's very cool. That actually brings us to something that uh, you and I have in common. Uh, Kelly, 
mm-hmm. is that we both love Ryan Miller, who and Ryan Miller yeah. is uh, is a freestyle rapping enthusiast. <laughs> um, yes, I was gonna say, he was the first. Yeah, he I was, was the about first to say, rap. I was going to say, he's an amazing freestyle rapper, but I think he's an enthusiastic freestyle rapper, and he's much better <laughs> than I am. Uh, we were in a, and Ryan Miller and I were in a rap group together back in like the early 2000s called C-Spot Rhyme that started as a joke between me and Ryan Beal, like, we're in a rap group, C-Spot Rhyme. And then Miller went, can I join? We said, sure. And then he's like, hey, I booked us a show. And so we had to write a bunch of raps for a show that he booked for us for this imaginary rap group. And then we recorded an album. In the end, we recorded were, an album. Yeah. Uh, and then but, you were it. Uh, and he was the one who was actually like a really good rapper. And then Ryan Beale and I were like, okay, I guess we got to be rappers. And then we, we quickly started writing rap songs. Uh, but uh, you're a Ryan Miller fan. And is, is, he, is, is that how he you got into freestyling or just improv? Is, that, is, is he what got you into improv? He's what got you into improv. Right? Yeah. He, I mean, um, I, I had seen improv uh, on stage at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for the first time in the summer of 2010, uh, right when I was finishing my master's degree in the UK. Um, and I, I fell in love with it because it looked amazing. I had only done scripted theater um, up to that point, And I thought, God, these guys are geniuses. Look at them riff so fast. And uh, it really, I, I just, I was watching it in amazement. I never even thought about doing it because it just looked so like you needed to, to really have a very high IQ to do that and keep up. Uh, but I was fascinated by it, so I kept on. You do, you do, you have to, you, you do, do right, yeah. Jason? right, Jason? You have to have uh, a high IQ, right? Uh, what'd you say, Dave? <laughs> uh, I'm living, I'm living proof. The opposite is also true. <laughs> hey, I got into it in the end, so I was wrong as well. Um, yeah, but but that um, so after that summer, I moved uh, back to Brussels, and I was uh, doing scripted theater um, at the American Theater Company of Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I saw a workshop uh, notice for improvisational theater, and Ryan was giving that class. Um, and at the time, I thought to myself, "Well, obviously, I can't do it because of all the reasons I told you," but. I was so curious that I thought, okay, well, nobody knows me. So even if I suck, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good it was, logic uh... to get you into the class. <laughs> and then Ryan was the teacher. He was amazing. It was an, an incredibly fun weekend. At the end of it, he asked me to be in the student show. I had the same thought process. Okay, if I screw up, probably no one I know will be in the audience. So I'm going to try. <laughs> And then, um, and then he kept coming back. Uh, he had moved to London at the time. He wasn't yet in Amsterdam. He had just left Brussels and moved to London, but he came back every half a year or so for a few years to teach us. Um, and then the same when he moved to Amsterdam. And then eventually, through him, um, we we started working more with the more enthusiastic uh, members of the acting community towards creating a troupe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was a v- vital part of uh, that. He was a mentor. He was a cheerleader, and um, and now he's a great supportive friend. So, yeah, yeah, there's amazing. Some, yeah, Ryan Miller has never not been positive. Like my friend yeah. had the negative too. <laughs> he's never not been positive. He's <laughs> one of those positive people I know. I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. I've had the pleasure of uh, spending time and performing with him in various uh, places as well. And yeah, I concur one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, that's actually, I got a question for all of you, actually. How much do you think your first improv teacher influenced your improv? Like the first person to teach you improv, how much did it influence your current improv, your thinking about improv? 
uh like and for and who was your first improv teacher jace my first improv improv teacher was in uh, high school uh that we had a theater sports like a high school competition back in the day i don't think it runs in high schools here anymore but back then there was like a statewide national one as well so you all the schools um did it in divisions and then there was a state final and a big national final and stuff like that and uh and so i started doing it um just through school and uh as a part of that program a couple of professional actors would come out and spend you know two or three uh, uh days with the oh sorry yeah workshops afternoons with the um teams who were going to be in the victorian finals so your teachers taught you the basic things and then when you, if you got to the finals you got a, an artist to come out and work with you and his name was jeff payne uh, and he was on TV here. He was very. Uh, he was on a TV show called Neighbours here. Um, oh yeah, I know it. Yeah, he was Doctor Clive on Neighbours. I don't know if you know Doctor Clive. I don't know it so um, well that I would know the characters, but okay, I, I, cool. I know the well, theme tune and I know some of the actors. That's uh, which what I'm, is, I'm sorry. Yeah, very, a very uh, like a, a, a um, you know soap opera that's been running for for years and years and years here. It's kind of been a rite of passage for actors to go on. I've been on it a couple of times as different characters as well. <laughs> Uh, over the journey but uh he he was the first one to teach me he was very open he was uh, a wonderful um uh, uh and you know we're all a bit starstruck as well uh when we were doing it uh and i think it might have been within six years of that occurring i was performing with him in uh in some of the main stage shows here um, with the, the the professional theater sports company here in Melbourne, and that were it, it was at, still to this day. Anytime I get to perform with Jeff, who we've become quite good friends as well now, um, but anytime I get to perform with him, I just I'm just so chuffed because he was literally the person that that lit me up, gave me the space um, to to kind of fall in love with it, um, took all the fear away. Um, and a lot of that kind of, kind of competitive, he put the fun into it because mm-hmm. in high school, because there was so much at stake, you know, a trip interstate or finals and stuff like that, there was a bit of stakes in there. Um, and he kind of really got us to focus on the fun, which was nice. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I've performed with him a whole bunch now. Um, and uh, every time I do, I'm still there's still that voice in my head that's like, yeah, it's Jeff. I'm performing with the first person to teach me. (laughs) And did the way he performed, did that influence the way you perform? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's uh, speaking of very, like, he's a good rapper, good singer as well. So um, he's always been a a wonderful musical improviser and uh, someone I I look up specifically in that realm. I mean, he's a great comedic improviser anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, anytime, anytime I, I, feel like anytime I'm performing with Jeff, I'm just like that extra gear up, you know, it's just like I, I one, I don't want to let him down for all those reasons. Uh, and, and two, it's, I, I'm just on cloud nine, you know, mm-hmm. to, still to this day, uh, it happens a lot less nowadays because uh, he, uh, he doesn't improvise quite as much as he used to. Um, but every now and again, we still get a, a, a cool. gig in here or there, which is great. And what about you, Kelly? Do you think Ryan, being like your first improv teacher has influenced the way you improvise now now that like yeah now that we've all seen other improv <laughs> you um, still think uh, of that? yeah 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 i think that i mean your your first blank of many different areas in your life is always memorable mm-hmm. and um and i think that um the, the what was great about ryan um as 
to be a first teacher is, as you know, he's such a kind and considerate uh, person as well. So, um, and I was very over eager and uh, very um, enthusiastic. And he just made time to sit and nerd out about improv and answer all my questions. Mm -hmm. And even, and he wasn't even in the country. So of course that happened at drinks after a show or after a workshop. But he would even make time to Skype with me um, when I had questions, when I was trying to create my first group or put shows together. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, shout out to the book. Um, I, just, I so, just held up for everyone who can't see what we're doing. I just held up Ryan Miller's yeah. book that I have. Which I have is like incredible. Five copies on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, I bought, I, bought the, I bought the school pack as well. So I've got plenty at the school. Yeah. Um, and he just, so, so that, that openness, uh, that he has when he teaches also spills out to how he is as a person. And, uh, so he would always follow up. He'd send us the exercises because he knew that we were a small community without much support of, of having teachers at our fingertips. Um, and that was really invaluable because, um, any questions could be answered, uh, immediately. And I remember I got in touch with him after we did our first terrible show where we bombed <laughs> and, uh, and he was really, he just said, I'm very happy you had that experience. I was like, what? <laughs> and then he explained how valuable it is to have that show. So um, even, even after he left the classroom, he was still teaching me in so many different ways about improv. Um, and, and, give, and I think that that generosity um, is something that uh, really affected me. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. And you, Dave, who was your first? Oh, teacher? I mean, yeah, like I had my first high school drama teacher that got us doing improv, mm -hmm. uh, who is a woman named Aurora Reale. She passed away. She's a very, very large Italian woman and very funny and fun. Like, just she yeah. was a PE teacher that ended up teaching drama. <laughs> so she was not an artist or a theater person. She's just this, like, big gigantic happy lady uh, and so improv was always like the friday improv type class thing it was like junior high school uh but it was like so fun and she was so fun and she was just so full of laughter and joy all the time and i think that really did rub off on the way i perceive a, a improv teacher is that mm -hmm. it's fun and joyful and smiles even if we're doing like serious work it's like this is it's called a play. We're making a play. It should be fun. You know, like yeah. Uh, and I think that has rubbed off on how I how I approach improv a lot. But then my second drama teacher was like a really strict teacher, and so both of those combined to me being very playful and fun. But also I'm like <laughs> strict. There's a way to do it. You're late for rehearsal. Get out. Get out of here. I wish I could be that mean. I can't be that mean. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool. I just yeah. It's it's interesting how much those little things influence you forever those, those mm -hmm. first first encounters yeah yeah and as as a bunch of teachers now as well um you know week in week out uh being someone's first experience of improv as well um you know it reminds you to 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 keep that light on for for other people because yeah. i i'm i i'm sometimes i'll sit in the class and just be like Hmm, improv yes let's let's improv it up a bit um and uh and then i'm like oh, these are new students let's keep it light and fun <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um but i love that yeah ryan so smart failing yeah. it's good that you had that experience early like that's uh that's something i, I try to make what sure did I you take out of that for for those people who uh you know just starting up their own own gigs and stuff like that what did you take out of that gig out of ryan 
Do no, out of failing, out of the gig where you failed. Oh, the gig, not the gig. Okay, I'm sorry. The one That's where you right. bombed, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so it was, well, first of all, um, I, I was very hard on myself and um, I just felt like we were not up to scratch uh, first. But then I thought about it and um, through discussing it with Ryan, I figured out that we were kind of not in the best position either because we had been brought by this company to perform at a reception People were, yeah. dan- were were drinking and eating Ooh, and networking. That's, a, um, that's so, a bad gig. That's a bad yeah. gig. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I didn't know any better. It was one of yeah. my first gigs, so I just said yes. I didn't realize what it meant to perform when people are not interested in watching a performance. <laughs> yeah, no, you still you still do the gig, right, Jay? You still oh, do the gig, course. but oh, there's yeah. no going into it. Oh, it's one of these gigs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, we're at the point now where we don't even do those gigs anymore. Like uh, in the early days, we were like, oh. This, this is what's going to be happening. There's going to be finger food. We're going to be on the other side of the pool on a small stage and no one will be watching us. Um, but, yeah, nowadays we're like, what's happening? Yeah, I don't, you don't think want, you really you want us want there. Improvisers. Here's the number of a musician. Yeah. Whereas, whereas at the time, I just took it as we were not interesting enough to keep them away from food and drink, so we yeah. failed. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, tough gig. Yeah. So you learned a lot in that gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned about the fact that first of all, you know, it's not always you. It sometimes is the situation and the environment, uh-huh. and it's not a good combination uh, to to put a bunch of hungry people who want to network um, and make them watch something they don't want to watch. Yeah. Um, and uh, also that you know, it's uh, and this is what Ryan said. It was like remember the feeling and don't. Uh, don't don't kind of uh, shake it away and avoid it because you learn just as much from failure as you do from uh, success and yeah. if not more, um, and and that's true. I mean the I, I've of course had bad shows since then, but my I haven't felt as crestfallen and as mm-hmm. terrible as I felt after that one because mm-hmm. now I know that it's part of the game. It's part of um, part and parcel, and it, everything is improvised. So sometimes it's sometimes it is you. Sometimes it's not the environment. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. you messed up and it's that's okay because you're not in the other person's head and they're not in your head. So the, the odds are that sometimes, even if you've got great players on stage, a show will not work. Yeah. So. Well, now you know, you've, you've learned the lesson of like what things you need to say before you do the gig. You have to say to them, <laughs> okay, but people can't be eating while we're doing the show. Yeah. And the lights need to be pointing at us and yeah. there can't be a television behind. Like you have to like, you, you learn like all the yeah. possible things that can go wrong in a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Through having them happen to you and then you have this catalog. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine, yeah. A friend of mine, a comedian friend had like his, he shared his two riders from when he first started out to when he like like now <laughs> and his first one was like just need to make sure there's a microphone uh and then his rider now is like need to make sure there's a microphone that's plugged into a sound system that works and they're both <laughs> turned on and the, the audience is facing me and like he has like all these like really yeah. really really fine print stuff <laughs> i remember the last time that happened to me and, and and we are very much the same now we're like okay we need a room uh where we can be seen there's lighting etc etc stage um and uh we were doing a training gig uh for volkswagen here in australia and uh we were doing we were putting all of their corporate people through we had three days of work lined up and they were like yep you're in a training facility um a dedicated room it's going to be great and we get there and the dedicated room is 
uh, long hallway between uh, mechanics training. Like, <laughs> there's literally garages on either side of us with windows. <laughs> and so they're training, like, how to uh, put exhausts on, how to weld, like, all this interesting stuff. And there's windows along the hallway. Is we've got all the corporate people in this hallway with a stage that's been erected down the end and we're trying to improvise and do training stuff and there's like going on everywhere. Did you incorporate it in the the dedicated dedicated training area that they had said was just for training mechanics, not for training corporate people. Um, We tried to, but after two and a half days of it, we were like... Let's just get through this, man. <laughs> did your did your object work uh, as a mechanic uh, get stepped up by? Oh, I was yeah, it was so good. Uh, but also, they would change classes about halfway through a gig as well. So like the hallway would flood with training mechanics about halfway through. The gig. <laughs> okay, that one takes the cake. Jason. Oh man, you you win in the bad gig sphere. Oh and, well, I just thought I'd done so well. Fog. A big foghorn would go up. I thought I'd done so well organizing it. Like they ticked, and they had ticked off all the boxes I asked for. We were amplified. We had a stage. We had dedicated seating. We had lights on us. Everything. We were just in the middle of of the training facility. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes it gets away from you. That's hilarious. Uh, That's hilarious. Yeah. Sometimes I just tell people, I just need a room where everybody can be standing up. Like if I'm doing a corporate workshop, yeah. uh, sometimes I'll just say that. And <laughs> sometimes it doesn't work out, but normally it does. <laughs> a room where everyone can stand in a circle and they go, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it okay if there's tables nailed to the floor? I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, how is Impro Bubble going since we've talked about that? We were talking about <laughs> like the last time we saw you, you were. I, ta- I managed to talk you into it, um, first of all, which is great. It's all your fault, Dave. <laughs> uh, if I knew this pandemic was going. Um, <laughs> but how, how's it been going? It's been four years. You've been running a company now in, yeah, uh, in, Brussels, I, 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 in Brussels, which is in Belgium, everybody. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know how to answer that because of the pandemic. So I, mm. I, I feel like out of the four years, it's been three, really. I don't know if I count this year. Yeah, as yeah don't count this year. Don't count this year. Uh, I don't know. It, okay, so uh, generally speaking, it's been great. Uh, mm. We went from 14 students in 2017 to uh, 77 in 2020. Wow, nice. well done. Uh, amazing. And from two teachers, uh, which was it was me and Ben Hartwig from uh, Germany, if you know yes. him, because uh, he moved uh, to Brussels to be with uh, his wife Donna around the same time. So um, the, the around yeah. the same time that I was thinking about um, creating a school, um, he moved there, and then after that, a year later, Rosanna from Romania, I don't know if you know her, from Improvisneyland, also mm-hmm. moved to Brussels with her husband. So it was also um, great great timing that these talents from, from other countries uh, were relocating uh, to Brussels. So they mm-hmm. ended up being my first um, permanent teachers. Uh, and now I have uh, 
um, I, I have another three. So uh, Charlotte de Mensenare, if you know her from Leuven, teaches uh, more regularly for us. Cool. Adrien Leuven Hoffman. was the uh, first place I went to in Brussels. It was it was one of my oh. first international festivals. Was, oh, uh, the Improvalicious? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the the festival there. So it was uh, the first place, uh, uh, when was that? 2006, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was us, uh, Impro Melbourne, uh, unexpected productions, which is where I met Randy and Susie and Tony and and those sort of people. And who were the other company there? Inspinazi. Um, yeah, Inspinazi yeah. was. Yeah, was, they're the, the they're one of the Leuven. I think they're the organizers of Improvalicious. Mm, mm. And it was uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was such a lovely tiny little festival. You know, it was like we were all workshopping with each other every day, performing every night. It was uh, it was absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. Did she did she Charlotte work with Inspinazi? There? Yes, 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 she oh. does, and uh, and on their festival, but the newer editions. Yes, um, yeah. So because yeah, uh, Jason yeah. went there when Jason first went there, it was probably like, but like the seventies, Jason. Was <laughs> yeah, it was the seventies when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Improv festivals were way cool back then. Dude. Dude. I, was ta- I was in diapers. I was, I was the I, I was the dude baby. You know, yeah. they, they, the one that walked around going, "Hey, dude." Uh, so you had all these, so you had an influx of teachers from out of town. Yeah, yeah. So from, That's nice. Both, both um, Rishi Panchasara and Adrien Hop are actually from uh, from Belgium. Um, they're two bilingual improvisers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so in the beginning, it was more the um, other European teachers that came from abroad. But as, as I also, because I transitioned uh, between uh, working as a speechwriter in the European Commission to becoming a full-time improviser um, between 2017 and 2019. So I was working wow. full time in 2017, and uh, at the end of 2018, I started working part time. And by April 2019, I was able to become a full fledged uh, improviser. Yeah. Um, and and so in, during this time, I, I was also because I speak French, so I also perform um, in French sometimes. Wow! Um, and I started oui, getting to know the. Aussi, je parle Bravo! Oui, tu parles très bien. So, so through this, I also was able to get to know the Belgian improv scene a little bit better. Um, there's also a new theater um, dedicated to improv here called L'Improviste, oh, which wow. um, opened its you, doors in 2018. Do you, run, do you run the theater as well then, or do you run you run both? Is it both? No, no. no. I, I So I run Improbable, and inside our physical space, we have a small stage. Maximum capacity in the before times was... 50 people now yeah. it's about 23 <laughs> yeah that's still pretty um, good <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm fine it's fine and, and it's perfect for student productions and labs um improviste is a uh, theater that i think the capacity is between 80 and 100 in the before times and about 40 now yeah. um and it's this beautiful theater that was built um um especially for improvisation. So it's a huge stage. It's got a lot of cool sound stuff and it's got a smoke machine and two sets of wings. So it's an improviser's playground. It's, it's a really oh, lovely wow. space to uh, perform in and, uh, Impro Bubbles, because um, I, I the company um, has a professional um, cast. It has, of course, a, a school, and we have uh, the corporate trainings. Mm-hmm. So the professional cast of Impro Bubble was able to perform every Sunday there in the 2019-2020 um, um, season up until March. Yeah. And it was just such a 
joy uh, to, to perform there because it was such a good stage uh, for nice. long form and for genres. Um, yeah, so what I do now for them is I, I've come on board as uh, the producer of Anglophone shows. And by a happy accident, uh, I also <laughs> helped uh, get the Dutch-speaking shows uh, on stage there because before... Before us, it was only French, and then we came on board and we had English shows, uh, but it was only improbable performing. So now we've got amateur groups uh, getting ready to perform at L'Improviste in English. Uh, we have other professional um, groups uh, that are going to um, perform, and uh, I was a part. Of, I was um, I did the selection uh, process for that. So that's Ooh, what testing. I did for them. Super cool. Yeah, it's a trilingual improv theater. Yeah. Is that what you'd say? Trilingual? Say yeah, that? trilingual improv theater. It's a beautiful <laughs> trilingual improv theater. Very yeah. high tech, very fun cool. to play in. And, and how's uh, it been how's it been uh going through the pano? Has it has it sustained itself or um shifted classes online, that kind of thing? Uh yes, we had to shift classes online. Yeah. Um I mean it it was um in the beginning, it was very hard, and I got extremely scared that we wouldn't survive, especially when you see news about these big institutions like UCB yeah. and the yeah. I.O. closing their doors. You're like, how am I supposed to make it? It was literally um, like two weeks into the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was really I.O., UCB scary. both closed. I was like, holy yeah. cow. Exactly. Um, and also I have a physical space um, that I'm renting and um, that we ha couldn't use. So yeah. I've used um, I've used the physical space that I'm renting for four months out of the 12 months uh, of uh, the year. And and it's um, now I, I was I was really like up until um, three days ago, I was thinking, hmm, maybe I should hire a lawyer and figure out what to do about that, because uh, yeah. we didn't know when culture would open. Now it looks like culture and um, the stages will open in May. So I'm like, OK, hang in there. April, April is not that far away. And I've already yeah, paid yeah. for March. Um, but the truth is that during that first wave where, like you, Jason, um, everyone was canceling on me. So uh, because um, I do a lot of corporate work, so that's always not made me worry. I, I haven't been too worried about the, the school in terms of income yeah. uh, for myself because I knew I always had the, the corporate gigs, mm -hmm. but everything stopped um, mm -hmm. during the first, uh, during, during the first lockdown. And um, the government help was not enough both to live and to sustain a theater. No, uh, so I had to choose uh, where I was. Um, so you spending chose money. to sustain the theater and, and then you yes. died and you died. Yes, and exactly. I am the ghost of Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um we did we did do things online but we had about a third to a third attendance in the beginning and then as people got more zoomed out it became a fourth right. so there, there was not again it wasn't a, a, a business model that was sustainable um but we did a fundraiser in may and uh people really stepped up and uh kept us going so wonderful um and my grandma too my, my grandma decided to give me some inheritance really early <laughs> thanks so, grams uh, thanks grandma. yeah the one that got vaccinated in canada so oh, yeah. Canadian. Karma, good karma she got she got through the line um Yes. So thankfully, because of the support of the community, so my students and improvisers generally in, in Brussels and beyond, um, we were able to make it through, um, I think, four, month, four months rent without having wow. to worry about it in the summer. That's nice. And, and that yeah. was great because that gave me and my teachers um, 
time to just plan next year without stressing about the present. So we were yeah. able to move forward. Um, now, when we had, we were lucky, we had um, September, October, um, and a little bit of the summer where we were able to do things outdoors and then gradually indoors. And um, what I saw, to my surprise, because I thought we're going to lose everybody because everyone's going to forget about improv because uh, they haven't done it for so long. Um, if anything, we grew. We had to put three um, three new beginners classes wow. in the autumn. And, wow. and I had to hire two new teachers because smaller groups, more teachers. Um, so that was an incredible discovery. And, and that's what's keeping me hopeful um, for the future, that people will, will want improv. They'll want to be connected and they'll be looking uh, for, for this sort of activity. Uh, but then they, they closed this down again. And uh, this time people were more, yeah, this time I was more able to handle it mentally because yeah. we've been through it. We know what works. We know what doesn't work. Um, I made a few adjustments. So we didn't just, um, in the previous um, lockdown, we just adapted our curriculum to to end online. So we just continued it and ended it online. Mm -hmm. uh, but I figured that that was probably not fair to the people who don't want to do online and uh, who spend too much time in front of their computer. So during this lockdown, we we made optional modules at, at different experience levels. And um, we will resume the curriculum whenever it is that we're able to be in person, which, fingers crossed, at the moment looks like it will be May. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then corporate came back, too, because uh, they they figured, okay, we're going to be teleworking for a while, so we need to take a chance on online trainings. And and that's worked surprisingly well. Um, mm. uh, so so thankfully, the, yeah. the finances have been the, steadier. Uh, <laughs> I think corporate training online sometimes works even better because you don't have yes. to like go all the way there. You don't have to worry about whether or not they booked a space that's appropriate. For yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to be like, oh, mechanics always. Mechanics around. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, so it's actually like sometimes for that aspect of it, it works better. The actual quality of the work is always, you know, it's, it, I think being in person is always nice. Yeah. Uh, so uh, stepping out of the uh, uh, boss, boss, boss lady pants, Kelly, of who is clearly boss, amazing. Boss yeah, boss lady pants, someone like who's it. clearly amazing at yeah. running a company, organizing things, inspiring people, uh, managing uh, and, managing and a ma company through a pandemic. A pandemic, what? yeah, Holy like shit. total ahead, guys. <laughs> total hats off to that for for those shoes and those pants. Yeah, but let's put Kelly in her artist pants. Now, or shorts, artist shorts, oh, or shorts, or shorts, or pinafores, whatever you want, whatever you want. <laughs> artist pants, I like Your artist artist pants. lower wear. <laughs> the most politically correct way to say it. Yes, the lower garments. The, the lower garments. Yes, continue, Jason. Uh, yeah, what 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 work are you looking forward to to creating? Like, where's where's your brain at at the moment? What are you? What are the 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 things that are existing in those recesses where you're like, maybe I want to give this a crack? Obviously, freestyle hip hop and stuff like that is there. Yeah. But yeah. what 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 else is in there? What are you what are you hoping to uh, achieve kind of on that artistic front? 
Well, uh, at the moment, uh, I think that because the pandemic also made us all slow down, um, when you do a lot of things, when you're producing and you're marketing and you're doing the logistics and, and you're performing and you're directing, um, there's only a finite amount of time you can dedicate to any of those areas. Mm -hmm. So the, the flip side of having a lot of time to prepare for something is having more time to think through how you want to do something. Mm -hmm. um, we've been lucky in that professional improvisers or any professional artists are still allowed to get together uh, with social distancing and masks and rehearse. Mm -hmm. And um, so the show that I'm directing um, called House of Europe, which is an improvised house of cards that takes place in Brussels instead of Washington, nice. is something that I'm really looking forward yeah. to because it, it marries my past in EU affairs and the, the knowledge I have um, from my experience there uh, with improv. And I think it's also a good thing for Brussels to see itself on stage mm -hmm. because there's so many political shows about um, u.s politics yeah uh, and not just house of cards like the west wing and designated survivor and veep and i'm yeah. sure i'm i'm forgetting a lot of other ones fun uh, uh, fun fun trivia fact about me actually is the only television show i watch is the west wing that's all i watch oh, I only you chose exclusively well. I just when I when I'm like I should watch something I just rewatched The West Wing since <laughs> since since when Trump got elected I started watching it and I didn't stop until uh, until he was out of office that's how I that's how I, that's your, I think it was you a know all of the bits out by heart I, yeah, Martin yeah. Sheen is your pro, is your president for that four years yeah name a season and an episode I can tell you what's happening uh, <laughs> let's not let's not play that game but a piece of trivia for you uh, so House of House, House of Europe sounds House like a show of Europe. I would very much enjoy. So well, how do you go about rehearsing something like that with your cast? Uh, so what I did was I, I, I had this idea a few years ago, but I wasn't ready to put it on stage because of the fact that it ne I thought it needed a lot of work. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, because um, one of the reasons Brussels is not really on stage that often is no one really knows how the EU works. And that's because <laughs> the EU is complicated. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's a complicated say. Does the EU work? <laughs> oh, ouch. According, to, oh. according to England, no. Yeah. Yeah, according to the vaccination rollout, it's uh, the jury's out as well. <laughs> yeah. Twenty-seven member states. Tell those Italians to send us our vaccine doses. Damn it. <laughs> um. So. What, one thing I did is, first of all, the casting was half and half. So half the casting are people um, who know the EU, have worked in the EU, like me, and half of them are just improvisers. Um, the, the, this is because I wanted, I wanted obviously to have really talented people to perform, but I also wanted some people who innately know what we're doing and what we're talking about to help with the specificity and help with the context. Um, and I think that that marriage was really good because, um, the, uh, Euro bubble people, as I'll re refer to them, because Euro bubble is the part of Brussels, um, that works in that bubble of international um, affairs and European affairs. Um, they were able to help, uh, me, uh, inform, uh, the just pure improvisers about how things worked and the pure improvisers were able to get them out of the technicalities and into the story a little more. Nice. Uh, so the casting was the first thing that that I paid a lot of attention to, and one of the reasons why I didn't do it earlier because I wanted to have a solid cast that covered both of that. And the the other thing that was that I've discovered as we go along is that in the beginning, 
I thought that they would, I would just need to, we would all need to watch um, this footage on TV and these documentaries and read these things and mm -hmm. really make it a bit academic. But then um, I think it was uh, Yanis, one of my um, um, colleagues uh, who said, guys, think about it as your national parliament. Think of the European parliament like your national parliament and think about the characters you have in your national parliament. And just apply that to Europe and, uh, you know, have them be from Hungary or Poland. Mm -hmm. And then you're halfway there. And um, and that was very, it was an insight that was very helpful because then we started bringing in our own experiences from our, our local politics and finding parallels for it on in Brussels. And um, and then once, once that was kind of understood... The stories started getting more um, more real, more interesting, more seamless. Mm -hmm. I could see them not go through their head, going, "Which institution is it? What are we voting <laughs> on?" Um, and then it's been just a lot of fun creating these games as a director to get them to not worry about things, because like, mm -hmm. we have so much jargon. That's the thing; we have so many acronyms and so much jargon in EU affairs anyway that we, even working in it, don't know um, all of the institutions' jargon. So if yeah. you just say something with confidence, no one is going to fault you on it, and they'll understand the essence of it. So there were some games where it was just drills, where one person would say. OSCR, and then someone else had to to make up uh, what it stands for. The Organization of uh, Security Clearance Responsible People, or yeah, something like, like that. Yeah. It's um, like Tony Hale's character in Veep, who's just constantly whispering into her ear yeah, the whole time, yeah. <laughs> clarifying oh, everything. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, it's like, yeah, all, all governments are the same when you really get into how bureaucracy <laughs> works. If they're yeah. all the, the same, like horrible annoying terrible things and somehow things get done somehow yeah, yeah. and, and to... funny there's also like i i worked for a member of european parliament and my 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 life was deep like it was very there were some hilarious things that went wrong and it really felt like something taken out of yeah. beep what's yeah. that australian show uh jace about were you on an australian show that was uh, uh yeah i think overseas it's called dreamland but here it's called utopia and it's about a government department uh, who uh, run like uh, yeah government projects and stuff like that. Yeah. I was on the show. I was the local forestry um, worker uh, yeah. who they had to clear all whether any project they had to do over the course of three seasons. I was on, and they were like, "Are we going to you know harm any little tiny animals or anything like that?" <laughs> and I think it's called Utopia. It might be on Netflix over there. Uh, overseas. Oh sure no! Missy, here here it's think, called Utopia. There it's called Dreamland. I Missy, think. Missy yeah. watched it. I remember because she works in government, so she yeah. would love the show as well. Kelly, she would be amazing. Yeah, uh, but she oh, so me. she watched it and she loved it and was laughing. And then and then one day she was like, "Oh my god, Jason's on the show." <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad Miss impression, but she, she can't tell me what she said. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you ruined all Australian TV for us now. So we just wait for you to show up every time. Yeah, just Here's wait for me. Problem. I was. Watch yeah, neighbors, I'll be there. <laughs> I um yeah, and those guys were my comedy heroes growing up as well. Like they were the guys I watched on TV and I oh, love so cool. the, there's a very classic Australian film. If you can get a hold of it, watch it because it's it's great, called The Castle. Uh mm -hmm. and they made that movie and um yeah, it's a it's amazing. Very young Eric Banner in that film, uh doing hilarious comedy work. Cool. Um uh, but, and yeah, so I grew up watching them on, on doing sketch shows and stuff like that. So anytime I get to work with them, I'm just 
squeeing in mm. the back of my head the whole time. <laughs> trying and, to be uh, cool. Trying to be yeah, cool. just trying to be so cool about it. But I'm like, I'm sitting across from Rob. I'm sitting in the center. Like the whole time in the back of my head. They're taking just uh, secret, secretly yeah. taking photos the whole time, yeah. texting people. Yeah, it's always lovely on that set. I'm very uh, happy. So uh, so you haven't performed the show yet, Kelly, this, uh, this uh, House of Fear, but you've been no, rehearsing we, it through the pandemic. We've been rehearsing it for for a, a long... In in a way, it was good that we had more time to rehearse it because I think we've really uh, stumbled on some gold now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were supposed to premiere it in January, but now probably May if, if mm-hmm. we don't have a third wave and if um, all the things uh, keep... So Looking is good. the focus of the the show dealing with a certain issue for that particular episode, or mm-hmm. uh, is it uh, like a dialogue heavy kind of kind of thing? Because yeah. anytime I think of those, uh, anytime mm-hmm. I think of those type of shows, I'm thinking of that Sorkin esque kind of you know dialogue that's you know snappy, and pretty- repetitive, <laughs> and snappy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, walk and talk, walk and talk. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is it so Sor- Sorkin esque yeah. or more House of Cards? I've never actually watched House of Cards. I have a confession. Um, it's a <laughs> Um, and now I feel like I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you can I, watch the UK version, the original version. Oh, maybe I'll do yeah. that then. That's a good yeah, compromise. Yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the beginning, because um, it changed, and part of part of what was good about the 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 delay due to the pandemic is that uh, the process of rehearsal and of figuring it out uh, allowed me to change it. In the beginning, what I wanted to do was a hero's journey kind of thing with an anti-hero, which would be this man or woman who wanted to like climb through the ranks and um, and get to power, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is more or less what happens in House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the process, I figured out that that would be a little bit boring because it would be very... I mean, the story is already there. You already know as the improvisers, okay, that person's going to be the hero or heroine, and we will either make their lives difficult or facilitate it on the way to them becoming European Commission president or mm-hmm. the, the German chancellor or whatever it is that, because you ask someone what's the most powerful seat in the EU, you'll also get a few different answers. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yes, another person will say, well, it's actually the member states that are calling the shots. Someone else will say it's the council. And, and so, um, so I England. figured for that, <laughs> I, I figured for that, for that reason that that was probably not going to be as interesting. And then the funny thing about this city is that there is a lot of power play, but there's also a lot of pettiness. So there's power play at the highest level. So financial crisis, memorandum of understanding, Brexit. But there's also kind of these little, like, the commissioners um, of the European um, Union, which they're like the ministers um, of any given area. So a minister of foreign affairs, a minister of agriculture, et cetera. We call them commissioners. Mm-hmm. And they're, they come from each EU member state and they have a portfolio. And the funny thing is that sometimes they fight about who's competent something is. If it's something that's both trade and digital, you'll get the trade commissioner and the digital commissioner fighting over whose mm, file it a, is. That's not in my portfolio. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. yeah. Cows, cows don't count as agriculture. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
And and it's the same with the European Parliament. Uh, there's little like power. There's there is you know high stakes, but also low stakes power play about who gets to do which event with whom, and um, and and whose um, plenary speech got more views and and stuff like that. Or um, and and when you go to the European uh, Council, which is, uh, there's a rotating presidency of member states, so. What that means is that every six months, a different member state is responsible for the agenda of the EU and how things get done and what the process is for which uh, political files are going to have more importance and which will have less. So a country like Estonia, who cares a lot about digital, would probably prioritize digital over, uh, let's say, maybe, um, I don't know, fisheries, uh, because that's their A game. That's, That's what they're good at. So, so there's also, uh, so I thought actually what's more interesting is, um, and don't even get me started on the civil servants and all the games <laughs> that are played over there and, uh, and getting promotions and raises. Yeah. So I thought that actually the fun thing is that we're in this multicultural city um, with high and low um, stakes power games being played. Everyone comes from a different country. So on top of all that, you've also got all these cultural misunderstandings because mm-hmm. the Dutch will be really blunt and uh, the Italians and the Greeks will be really loud. And then the Brits will say, that's not a bad idea, but actually mean that the idea is terrible. Yeah. Um, so, so then the focus uh, became more on that, on showing, um, asking the audience for an issue, um, any issue they think the EU should you know, <laughs> deal with or is dealing with. Yeah. And, and then see, see, you know, that piece of legislation in different uh, arenas. So in the European Commission, which is kind of like um, the civil service, see it at the highest political level, uh, see, you know, a conversation two security guards uh, might be having about it well, and, really and watch. Um, so more have like these uh, slices of life. And then see um, all these different actors, all these different characters, and how they intersect uh, and interrelate. Lovely, yeah, cool. So it's like, yeah, so it's like a snapshot of like this is what's going on in the EU around this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the highest level and at the lowest level, and maybe a secretary um, has mistransmitted something, and because of language misunderstandings, the law says not instead of will, and yeah. Yeah, and then it, we watch as it trickles through all the other little departments as well, and like so, like they affect each other. There is narrative that yeah. happens. Exactly, but, exactly. But the narrative just kind of happens around all these scenes we put. Yeah, in. it's it's yeah. not going to be a linear, um, uh, you know, um, A to B. Um, and I yeah. think it's more interesting that way because then you can also see the funny thing about the city is also that even though um, there it's you know a big city, um, if you work uh, in EU affairs, everyone kind of knows each other. There's no six mm. degrees of separation. There's one or two degrees of separation. <laughs> my, my landlord is colleagues with a friend of mine. His wife is colleagues with another friend for example um so so there's also this funny thing of you keep bumping into people and i also want to bring that in that you know the person you were getting wasted with uh on a thursday evening because that's the night people uh go out in in the bubble is the person you're going to be in a negotiation with on friday morning uh, on the other side of the table that's fantastic. Cool. Uh, I love uh, the whole talk through there because you did something that we talk about all the time, which is go mm-hmm. in with an idea, 
but mm-hmm. allow yourself to be open to the many changes that present themselves during the process. And just the just the fact that you've let go of the initial idea. I'm sure there's still plenty of elements that are there, but the initial na- narrative idea mm-hmm. for the pastiche stuff it makes me really excited to want to see it. Um, because I think, uh, as we've spoken about on this before, you can, you know, you, you get people who cling to that idea so much and they don't see all the wonderful offers that are coming out of their cast or the potential for the new. That's or even, yeah, or even just realizing your own mistake once you start working on it and you're like, wait a minute, this this hero's journey story is not the interesting part of the show. Yeah. Uh, let's get rid of it. Let's just get rid of it and see how that works. And then boom, it works much better. Sounds sounds like a really fun show. I would love to do it. Uh, let's do it. Should, should we, should we come? Jason, I'll bring it away. to Paper Street. <laughs> you no, like we'll genres. We'll come. I love it. Oh, man. I would love to do a West Wing show. <laughs> oh, man. I could be the Australian ambassador uh, for <laughs> for sheep or something. Oh. I mean, <laughs> the Australian ambassador for sheep. You need to do a West Wing show, Dave. You know it as well as you do. You really and you yeah. need to do that. Sorkin. Improvise Sorkin. Uh, um, oh. I was going to ask, I, do you play? Do you play with languages then? Because well, Brussels is, as far as I know, like probably one of the more multicultural cities, or yeah. multilingual cities. Both, uh, both multicultural and multilingual. Uh, yeah, uh, so, like in the show, do you switch between languages? Because uh, I, because uh, I know, yeah. like from what I remember when I was in Brussels, mm-hmm. all government in in Belgium is done in in uh, in. Dutch or Flemish? I don't know. Is it Dutch or Flemish? Uh, it, the it's the same. Uh, Flemish is a dialect of Dutch. So, so yeah. So it's done in, in Flemish and French, all governments. Yes. You, you speak whichever yeah. language you're more comfortable with. Yeah. Which I think is so cool that people are speaking different languages to each other in the same. That, that sounds so great. So do you do that in the show where some people are speaking? Yes. In fact, um, in fact, interpreters are a big part of, uh, of, of what makes everything um, in, in Brussels oh, run nice. because every country has to have their language represented. So everyone has their own interpreter. Um, and um, so I, one of the other things I stumbled upon was, okay, let's, let's, let's play with the traditional foreign film dub uh, game that we have in improv and see how we could transpose that to a situation where we have the politicians and we have the interpreters behind them and um, do we do gibberish or do we do the real language do they truly translate or do they not Um, and then there's also uh, things like um, the 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 pride associated with a language Um, one funny thing um, having worked in the institutions that I noticed was that if if you're in a francophone heavy environment they're not gonna. They're not gonna switch to English. You're gonna switch to French. They're you're, they're gonna blink last. <laughs> that's that's so, such a French thing to do. I'm just trying. <laughs> so 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 also bringing in a little bit of these these uh you know these things that that we notice anyway into it and maybe just have a conversation where you know the. The, the Dutch person will speak English, but the French person will not. They'll just sit there and um, and keep uh, speaking back in French. So great. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, you'll have to let us know how they go. I, I, I kind of want to be there <laughs> to see them. Um, I, I will definitely yeah. let you know. I would love to also um, bring it to a festival or something because I, I truly think that the – so seeing the shows that we see, these um, U.S. shows, I mean – 
U.S. politics is complicated. I still don't 100% understand the difference between a congresswoman or congressman and a senator and, and the bill process, like how it goes from one chamber to the other and then back. Etc. So if if there are all these shows that are made about that complicated well, process, why can't we season, one? As season three, episode five of The West Wing points out. Please, no, please, please. And the U.S. elections with the electoral colleges, so, so it's already a complicated political system. So, if yep. if this fun, funny show makes what happens in Brussels also a little more understandable in the process, I would love that. I love that small circle stuff as well, where some person would will know someone else from the night before. It's I think that's great because your improvisers can assume an awful lot about the other characters, like and and that they know them or know someone who knows them. So you can really throw someone into the deep end with some information that of course you're just making up, but you've heard through the grapevine and stuff like that, which yes. is absolutely yeah. lovely. It's very cool. Um yeah. that's very cool. So I'm so I'm glad yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're yeah. finding your artistic like chance to be artistic in this as well as and and as also using what's already out. here. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the great thing is that because because of that we and because I used to work there, I I've had journalists come and talk to my cast. I've had politicians oh, or cabinet members. Uh, so they've also been able to hear some things from the horse's mouth. Uh, which, which, um, which again, if there weren't the p- pandemic and we couldn't take our time, maybe it wouldn't have happened as much. Mm. Yeah, it's a gift. That's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm just trying to put a positive spin on it. Come on. Silver lining. Sometimes the silver lining is even better than the cloud. Uh, uh, that's so cool. And uh, and we're doing a show together this month, actually. Uh, when people are listening to this, we're doing yeah. a little eavesdropping. We're doing one of our eavesdropping shows with uh, with Impro Bubble. Did you know that, Jason? Uh, yeah, no, it didn't work. Great. Yeah. They're so much fun. Uh, really lovely, really lovely time. So, That's, Have you done it too, Jason? I've done it a couple of times now. They're with us, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because yes. he could, because he didn't have to be here. <laughs> yeah. I just I, I just dropped in. So, yeah, I've done a couple of seasons of it now, and it is one of the most oh, fun experiences I've had uh, online improvising because you just sit into one character, the time flies by, you just have yeah. wonderful conversations. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. great. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Uh, this one's going to be taking place at, like, a weird time for you, I think, though. When, when are we doing <laughs> oh, okay. sure. Uh 10 a.m. your time. Which is like and seven six, p.m. My I think time. it's like five in the morning. You are oh, five in the morning. You man. Maybe if you really want to, Jason. <laughs> all of my characters. <laughs> your favorite online thing. All, all of my characters would just be like, uh, kind of like Dave is now. Dave stays after midnight now over there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty late over here. It's after one a.m. Actually, right now. Actually, we should let you go off soon, no, Dave. No, let's keep going. We're going till three, guys. Three. No bathroom breaks. Uh, but yeah, that's so. I'm excited to do that show with you. So yeah. fun. that's and, one of those things. And so about, are my students. They're really excited as well. Yeah, that's one of those things about the pandemic that is like. That I think is there is that silver lining. Jason was making the joke, but like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like being able, to, like, I, I'm seeing so much more reaching out across companies, uh, like around the whole world during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny when I remember when it first hit that the first people I reached out to weren't like the people that live in my city. Like I wasn't like calling my friends like, Hey man, you doing okay. I was calling like other improv companies to be like, are you doing okay? How are you getting through this? What's going on? Like having like all these different just supportive calls. Cause we're, we're more in the same situation than the other yeah. people I live with in, in Victoria mm-hmm. here. Like, cause uh, it, it, because 
they don't run an improv company. They don't know what it's mm. like to have your whole career destroyed. Well, I'm sure maybe some of them do, but you know. Uh, <laughs> so I feel I find like that that reaching out to everyone has been a kind of nice like little. Uh, I'm gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it's worth it, but it, it's been a really nice, nice, yeah. nice a balm. It's been the balm. A, a, a balm. Like, a balm, like a soothing balm. No? A soothing balm, like with an L, like a balm, not like a yeah. bomb. Like no, it's no. That's the whole plot of one EU show. The That's difference bloody. between balm and balm. House of Europe. <laughs> House of Europe. Well, they've got this new. Yeah, oh. Germans. Germany's got this new bomb. What? Germany's what? got a new bomb. They've got a new bomb. They're deploying it right. We were done with that. <laughs> yeah, they've been deploying it to Poland again. Oh no! Uh, the whole project was for nothing. Yeah, it's like we've got to go to war. Uh, <laughs> so funny um, yeah write that down that's a good thing okay, um cool uh cool uh, but we yeah we do have one question to just to end with here for you if you don't mind if you got a little bit of time uh because we we I, i'm trying to find new ways to phrase this chase because i keep asking oh really questions. okay i'm i'm uh, you've piqued my interest off you go i just uh i mean because like now if anyone's ever listened to the podcast and they're on the podcast they know what the question is and so yeah. i have to like so I'm trying to like sneak in and change it. So I'm going to change it a little bit here. I'm going to say okay. what what's the what's the improv skill, Kelly, that you think has made your has enriched your life the most of all improv skills that improvisers possess? Things like you know accepting and yeah. uh, being playful, listening, yeah. all those. What's the one that you think that's like enriched your life and would probably enrich other people's lives if they had that skill too? How'd you like that, JC? The wording. That was good. It was good. It was lovely. Almost the same question. Our <laughs> listeners at home are like, that was on. That's pretty much the same question, Dave. I'm like, it's a little different. <laughs> Probably embracing failure and uh, seeing mistakes as gifts and opportunities rather than mistakes uh, because it took me a long time to truly learn that. Mm. I think it took me two years at the beginning of my improv journey to truly be okay with failure and not sit in, in the back of the class going, Oh damn it. I didn't do it right. Um, cause even though uh, mentally I knew it, um, emotionally, I, I didn't know it cause, uh, I'm the firstborn daughter of Greek immigrants and excellence is especially academic excellence, but just excellence in life and, and, uh, growth and, and the idea of making it, um, was such a strong part of, uh, my upbringing, uh, that already, you know, being artsy and wanting something different was, uh, uh was difficult yes. to, yeah, exactly. It was, was difficult to, um, to communicate, um, to my family and to get them to understand, uh, and I think it was also difficult for me to um, to stand my ground and do it. I mean, I I left uh, the career in the EU at 33, and when I was a full time improviser, um, I was like, why am why did I wait 10 years? Mm -hmm. I knew I, I knew I loved the arts uh, in my early 20s. Why did it take me so long? And and the truth is this uh, this fear of failure, this fear of uh, m messing up, of wasting your life in, in, in inverted commas, uh, the idea of uh, being a starving artist. And then, you know, like, uh, how are you going to catch up later? Yeah, uh, was something that was very present in uh, uh, in, in my life uh, and in the way that I perceived myself in the world and, and what I should be doing with my life. So when I truly let go and started putting less pressure on myself uh, in improv, 
and and that happened in phases it was because after two years i kind of really got it but then after five years i stopped worrying because i was still worrying even if i had embraced failures and and so i saw also this these growth spurts and these developments in in my in the way I approached the craft when I had truly um, internalized what it meant to embrace failure and not worry um, and and those also spilled off in my life I mean perspective not taking things too personally not worrying about things okay uh, ha finding solutions rather than dwelling on the problem I think I became a better employee for the time I was still in the institutions because of that as well and uh, as the son of uh, a prison guard and a hairdresser, very yeah. blue-collar family who yeah. wanted to go into the arts, my final question to you is, how are your parents taking your career now? <laughs> how did they like that change your parents? Oh, up, up until the moment I uh, sent my resignation letter, they were like, are you sure? You know, it's nice to have a steady uh, income. And uh, so up until the end, even though they were kind of not telling me things like, it's a pipe dream and you'll waste your degree. And that was what was happening in my 20s. Like, uh, yep. what is all this artist nonsense? Mm -hmm. uh, in my early 30s, where they realized, well, she must be serious because she's still talking about it all these years later. It sort of was a little more subtle. Like, aren't you going to miss the business clothes? And, and kind of <laughs> little things here and there. Wow, that's yeah. your parents like, but those clothes are excellent. Those are excellent clothes. And now you can walk in with I, your boss pants on and go, look at my boss pants. But you know what? I think your parents yeah. are learning that lesson. They're slowly learning that like, well, yeah, she should do it. And then if it doesn't work out, you can always get a job back in the government. Oh, like, yeah. It's not like and the government's going away or anything. No, like, no, no, no. I, and, and the thing is that now they're super, like the Brexit rep that I was talking about, uh, mm -hmm. um, they they've been the ones they they were sending it to their colleagues and their friends and uh and and they were really proud even though they don't understand hip-hop and they don't understand <laughs> rap and and they think that uh, there are a few too many swear words in there they were still uh, happy yeah, so they uh, were sending I, it to colleagues and then my mother was sending me these replies that she was getting from from her colleagues and um and yeah i i think that it took them a while to get on board the train and of course, the pandemic does scare them too, uh, yeah, for me. Sure. Uh, but they've understood, uh, I think, that even if it's not their cup of tea, it's very much my cup of tea. And if I can make it through this pandemic, I think that they're not going to worry too much in the future. That's wonderful. That's great. And uh, to, for the record, my parents are the same as well. Like they, <laughs> they were worried to, at the start. But once I started doing some gigs and mm -hmm. and you know, getting the odd, uh, you know, role here and there. And, and they saw that I could support myself and have a life in it. They were like, okay, cool. And, and then my dad was the same. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, he's a very blue collar guy and he was like, yeah, look at my son's going to be on this this week, you know, and be sharing stuff yeah, and doing cool. all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's really lovely to know right. that they're just being cautious to, for for their sake and kind of your sake but but they're there for you as well yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't it comes my, from a place of love i don't think it my, comes, yeah. my dad never even understood what i was doing he would just tell yeah. his friends like yeah yeah he's doing this theater thing uh like he didn't know <laughs> what was going on. and then my mom still i don't think she understands what i do still but she knows that i've taught at mit and so she's very proud of me uh, yeah. yeah she doesn't know that i you know an hour mom it was an hour um, <laughs> like once a year for an hour it's not a big uh, but but th that made her very proud that that's what sold her on uh, and I, I just want to echo again, I just want to say I love what you just said about failure and embracing it, because yep. I think that's so true that so many improvisers know to mm -hmm. embrace failure, like the thinking of it 
and mm. we do it sometimes on stage and we do it in our improv and we know to like yeah that's okay it's failure it's part of the process but the idea of like failure in one's life to mm. let that translate into life is very difficult for people I think and they yeah. still feel like like um like that that they they still feel like failures if they don't succeed at a thing instead of mm. like no it's just part of the process or it's just part of growing and learning so I think that's a beautiful beautiful sentiment Oh, thanks, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us, particularly early in the morning. Thanks for staying up late, Dave. This oh, is yeah, this is deep, deep innings. Totally worth it. We're spanning the world. Absolutely worth it. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us. It was, oh, a it was my pleasure. It was so nice to see you both again, like uh, in our little, um, you know, virtual uh, Paper Street Festival <laughs> yeah. backstage yeah. chat. Well, next time, uh, next time, uh, next time I see you, we'll go for Ethiopian food again, and I'll yes. uh, encourage you to drastically change your life one more time. Yay! <laughs> what do you? You should get back into politics. <laughs> if you're not going to get, you're not going to get into that because someone's going to try to stuff food in your mouth, and you'll be like, "Are you? What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> Germs. <laughs> <laughs>